0: Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. We're back for another special episode. This is episode three in the commentary series for my book, Ultra OCR Men, from Special Forces Soldier to Record-Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer. So again, if you've somehow stumbled upon this episode and you haven't listened to the first two, that's okay. You can listen to this from here. But I would go back and listen to the first two. I would also actually pick up a copy of the book in hard copy, digital, or via Audible, and kind of follow along, because that's kind of how it's meant to go. You're supposed to like listen to the book or read some of the book, listen to the commentary, and kind of flip-flop back and forth. But Either way, I think you'll enjoy it, because we got Bobby Ross back on here, who's very entertaining. Bobby, say hi. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the OCR Book Club. (laughs) The past couple of podcasts, we ended up talking about a lot of my military stuff and some of my uh, other hobbies, bodybuilding and stuff like that, and some of my youth. And now we're finally getting into obstacle course racing. Uh, So we're going to pick up right at chapter 7 and kind of jumping into me getting involved in obstacle course racing through one of my friends uh, while we were working at Under Armour, which in
1: itself is like a pretty crazy story. Yeah, dude, like I can't believe like the time that you were at Under Armour too. That was like when that was really blowing up and we were all like, man, I got to have Under Armour. Mom, do you have 70 bucks for like a pair of underwear? Yeah, it was insane. So we
0: we showed up and again, like the book says, you know, we were we weren't just like interns, we were special guests. we're hanging out with like the number one and two guys over there. And they are treating us like athletes, like rock stars, right? Like I mean, they're like like we show up and the first day they're like, Oh no, those clothes won't do. Here's like a bag full of under armor. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Right? Like them they're literally just handing me under armor stuff. Oh no, here's another shirt, here's another pair of shorts, here's you know, it's like, you need to be head to toe under armor. Like anything else is unacceptable. We're lying.
1: Was it like the the cool under armor stuff? Or were you like wearing just like the, the really odd fitting polo shirts that everybody had for a while? So you we know, like had those. They were cut I, I, weird.
0: Yeah, I, I do have a couple of those. And they're just like too baggy for me. But they also have some that are really nice athletic cut that I really enjoy. So, oh, okay. We just got so much stuff on that
1: trip. It was, it was
0: insane. You know, and like What was said, the
1: weirdest swag they gave you?
0: Ah, uh, weird as swag. I mean, it's not really weird per se, but it was just, it was just a pair of kind of longer shorts that are uh, kind of like knee length, which I don't really wear for outside in public. But those oh, are actually yeah. my, those are my pajama shorts. So that's what I wear out of bed still. God, I still yeah. have the same shorts.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. It last a long time. They're good. <laughs> those are shorts if you're like really ashamed of your knees. That's just an odd, it makes everyone look short. <laughs> <laughs> long shorts I, I, like that. I don't need to look shorter than I am. It's, uh,
0: I'm already not towering over people that it's funny. Cause I don't realize I'm short until I see a picture of me standing next to someone who's tall. And then I'm like, Hmm, I'm pretty short here. Like I, when I stand next to you, I feel, I feel completely normal. And, but then like, if you show me a picture of like a <laughs> standing together, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, there's a height difference there. So.
1: That's, that's, that's good though. You, you see yourself in a good way. You see yourself <laughs> as taller than you really are strong. That's That's good self-talk there. That's a product of like a lot of, a lot of good habits, man. You're tall yeah. on the inside, and that's what counts. Right. I like being short, though. I think it's fun. All right, You're so. You're man. You're not short. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of power in a small body, man. I know first to <laughs> at Please don't U- edit that out. I'll okay. Just leave that just like that. <laughs> While I'm under, at Under
0: Armour, we end up doing our first OCR, but I, I don't really count that one. And then, you know, I kind of had fun, but we didn't run in the competitive wave, <laughs> or the first wave of the day. So I was like, I need to do this again because like I want to see how I do because, you know, I finished in, I don't, I don't remember it was like 60th place or something because we were waiting in line at obstacles and we were waiting for people to go over stuff, you know, and being in the military, I remember getting to obstacles and be like, what are you guys just standing there for? In my mind, I'm like, I'm like, wh- why are you just standing there? Like do something, you know, like go over the obstacle. Why are you like, you know, because people are just standing there looking at it and talking to their friends. It's like, I don't know what's happening right now.
1: And yeah, I mean, I was too drunk by the time I ran my first Warrior Dash wave. <laughs> yeah,
0: we came, we were hungover, but uh, we were sober by the time we got to the race.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. The first Warrior Dash I ever went to, I remember two things vividly uh, and nothing else other than those two things. One of them was I couldn't believe there was a slide. I was like, this is awesome. This is an obstacle. It's a slide. And the other thing was they kept giving us drink tickets because White Claw was a sponsor. And not white taking claw. the drink ticket when we would go up to the counter. I had eight white claws. <laughs> just just pounding them because, because I kept getting more. And, and like people would come up, like people were there with me like, hey, this is great. And I never had a white claw before. And I did not realize how much of a headache I would have because they are weird. Anyway, that is a completely unrelated story. Let's return to your experience. Well, that's a pretty good story in and
0: of itself. Yeah, so Warrior Dash was like my first intro to OCR, and that's how I kind of dipped my foot into the, the obstacle course racing pool there. And then the, the year I was getting into it was 2014. There happened to be like a whole bunch of world championships going on, right? Like that was the year it was Warrior Dash World Championships, the first OCR World Championships, uh, the first world's toughest – or not the first. It was the first time it was in Vegas, and then Spartan World Championship. So four OCR World Championships in like two and a half months it was. And I ended up going to three of them because that fought. was 2013, right? So 2013 is when I did my first Warrior Dash, and 2014 yeah. is when they had all the uh, all the championships at once. One Warrior Dash I went to, or actually I went to two that were competitive, and the, sometimes the crowd at Warrior Dashes are they're, they're just not serious athletes, right? Um, right. You, you get a mix of you get a wide mix of people at some of these events. Other times <laughs> I've been to Warrior Dash and just get blown out of the water because it's like 5K runners just blazing down the course. But, you know, so I was really unsure of what I was getting into. I thought I knew what I was getting into, but I didn't. And just going in from that into these other world championships, it was just like an eye-opening experience, right? Just getting completely blown out of the water in the Warrior Dash World Championship because it was so fast and so short. And they had a huge – the prize purse was something insane. It was like $50,000. It was was absolutely insane. So they like literally everyone who was fast flew into California for this thing.
1: Yeah, um, no kidding. Was it f- like, what were the obstacles like on the world championship for the Warrior Same
0: Dash? as a normal Warrior Dash. Really? <laughs> yeah. So it's just, <laughs> <the> ter- <laughs> you know, so I mean, they're speed bumps, right? The people are just flying through them. They're not slowing down. They're, they're running like, you know, sub six minute miles with obstacles. And the only thing that was different was the terrain was brutal right there was a couple of climbs where you were on all fours and like scampering up the side of this thing because it is like dirt mound because it was just yeah it was brutal and i remember just lungs busting and uh, oh yeah and that'll gas you too on a sprint oh yeah because yeah because you can't slow down you can't you, know, you, you can't be like, oh, i'll just make it up on the next hill or whatever it's like well this is only yeah. 5k so we got to go all in all the time yeah that was that was a good one do you have a slide they did not have a slide at this one in 2014. It was, they did have the super thick mud
1: pit at the end. It's not the same, man. I feel, no, like the, I feel like you need to jump out of a swing set in the middle of a warrior dash. It's just not that kind of race, you know?
0: Yeah. So basically, with the only warrior dash is I went into OCR World Championships, which if you've ever been to that or seen that, right? I mean, those obstacles are one of the harder sets of obstacles in the OCR world, you know? Uh, conquer it's the so gauntlet's long. Hard. Conquer the gauntlet's longer. Conquer the gauntlet's harder, but... OCRWC's courses are longer. It was just like a complete blindside on obstacle difficulty for me.
1: Were there any like wake up calls, like stuff you hadn't seen before that you were like, I have no idea how I was supposed to have prepared for this at that first OCR OCR World Championship?
0: I mean, the big one was the platinum rig. I'd never, I'd never seen that thing, right? It was something new. It was just a whole bunch of weird holds. And honestly, looking back, the holds aren't even that hard. Like today, if you put me on the same rig today, I would breeze through it multiple times and not even give it a second glance. But it was just something I'd never seen before, so my my body was not used to doing those movements and just got stuck there for a while and totally bombed it. So yeah, I lost my band on my first O C R World Championships. For O C R World Championship that doesn't make you DNF. It puts you essentially you below everyone else that finished with their band.
1: Gotcha. So you still got your time and you still got to kind of see where you stacked up but it was in like a loser's bracket. Basically.
0: Right, exactly. Right. So if you if you finish with a band you were above everyone that finished without a band.
1: This is something that's that's a big deal for me as I drink my light beer right now. You talk about like the last time you got drunk was at a friend's wedding in August of 2014. Is that like I am a serious athlete now? Like was that like a turning point or was that like nothing? That was just a tactical decision.
0: I had gone months at a time without drinking before during the bodybuilding phases. After World's Toughest Mudder, which we'll talk about in a minute, you know, that was kind of the, that was like, well, I'm not going back to drinking or at least not anytime soon it was something that kind of been building for a while. And then it kindly finally uh, just things lined up where it was like, well, it doesn't really make much sense to drink alcohol anymore. Like I'm, I'm married. I'm not trying to pick up girls. I'm not going out to bars and I want to be the best athlete I can be. And, you know, drinking is not, may not a couple of drinks may not hurt, but it's definitely not going to help. So, you know, it's just at that point, it was just like, well, I'll just cut it out and don't really have any second thoughts about it. And honestly, the, right. the the biggest pain in the butt was, especially with like work. Some of the social circles were like, "Oh, what do you mean you're not having a beer?" It's like, "I'm not having a beer. Leave me alone." You know, it's like <laughs> you got kind of fed up with it. But a couple of years is the hardest part because it's before you've achieved a certain level of success, but you're above where it's just like I'm kind of casually doing this. Uh, so there's this gray area where you try and take things seriously, but you don't necessarily have the qualifications and. Uh, you haven't achieved certain things. So people don't necessarily will give you an easy term. Like they don't give you the respect. They don't they don't give you the benefit of the doubt for some of your choices. Right. So, you know, it's like, well, why aren't you drinking? It's like, well, I don't see you out there winning races at that, at that point.
1: So <laughs> oh, you're like, so serious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's like, <laughs> that can be actually kind of harder versus now if it's like, oh, well, I don't drink because I'm an athlete. And they're like, well, well you know, what kind of athlete? It's like, well. Yeah, you know, here's a bunch of books I wrote. Here's a here's a website. Here's the team I'm on. Here are my sponsors. You know, it's like it's very easy to justify, and then people back off almost you know immediately because they're like, oh, that is that is a lot of stuff. you like, oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, I feel like most of the time, if you're a person who's not drinking uh, and you go to a party where a lot of people are, the biggest reason why anybody would ever make you for not doing so is because they're jealous of your self control. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I mean that's me. That's why like like when I go over and hang out with you, it's like. Well, can I take any of your alcohol, like Mr. Discipline, Mr. Abs, <laughs> and you
0: can because I still have a bunch that, for some reason, we hold on to. I'm not sure why.
1: I know that's something like I like. I think that everybody needs to know here. You, you've heard it here on episode three of this particular podcast series that Evan has an entire cupboard. Full of weird alcohol from all over the world, like amazing stuff. Like some of it's been aging in there for like like six, seven years more. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's true. It's incredible.
1: Some of them have like sentimental value, so
0: we bought them. You know, we, me and my wife went to Russia, or we went to UK, and we bought them. And then we came back, and it's like a couple of years later, we stopped drinking without finishing it. So it's now it's it's just sitting in the cabinet. It's like oh, well, that's got sentimental reasons for keeping it. Um, and we actually when the last time we moved, we actually got rid of a whole bunch of alcohol, but we still have still have a decent amount left over.
1: Well, if you decide to get rid of a bunch of alcohol when you move again next, just keep me in mind because I'll enjoy it. Sounds good. I'll enjoy good. it for you. Sounds Are there good. any other dietary restrictions that you you implemented during that time? Or was that just one of, like I said, one of those mini decisions that came with taking it more seriously?
0: I think specifically, you know, I, I knew the bodybuilding diet worked to keep you lean. So my thought was if I can stay lean, then I will, I don't, I'm not carrying excess weight in the form of fat. So I'm basically going to, follow that diet, but with a little more loosening some of the restrictions. So I eat a lot more carbs and I used to eat like absolutely no sweets. And now with like all the running, you know, your body craves sugar. My diet's actually a lot looser than it used to be. When you're prepping for bodybuilding, like my diet was literally perfect, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to have this one bite of cookie. Like, no, there was like zero cookies for four months, zero donuts, right? Like it was perfect. Uh, Especially that last, that last, uh, attempt at bodybuilding.
1: So by the bodybuilding diet, you mean like lean, white meat and like complex carbs, right? Correct. So like we're talking about sweet potatoes and not like starchy foods, right? Like a chicken, a grilled chicken breast and not like a like a steak or something like that.
0: Yeah, maybe steak once a week or salmon once a week, but mostly okay, grilled yeah. chicken best or fish, basically all complex carbs, right? So sweet potatoes, and then most green vegetables and Oatmeal and Ezekiel bread and egg gotcha. whites, nuts, nut butters. Is it the cholesterol that puts you off from the the yolk of the egg? Uh no, so the the egg white is basically pure protein, right? It's like protein. Period. Nice. Like there's nothing else in it. The yolk, saturated fat and some other fats. It's actually also got some other good stuff, some like leucine in there, some an amino acid that's supposed to be anabolic. It's mostly the saturated fat. Keep it lean. I eat yolks now. Like, you know, if I have a bunch of eggs, I'll eat one of the yolks and then the rest
1: will be egg whites or something. Gotcha. That's my favorite part, man. It's the good stuff. It's the fat. It's the taste.
0: Yeah, I like plain egg. <laughs> I like egg whites, nice and plain.
1: Mm. <laughs> that's just that's just disgusting. <laughs> it's not disgusting. No, it's just it's just you know you make sacrifices. I make right. sacrifices by being sedentary and not looking great when I take my shirt off. So <laughs> at least I get the yolk. All right, moving on. You talk a lot about like that first time that you you I think it was in OCRWC where you talk about like the being surprised by the competition, and you were you were running against some like like intense athletes. Yeah,
0: you know my with my only exposure as Warrior Dash, I was just very unaware of how good people were, and then when you if you're a runner and you look at the times for OCRs, you're like, well, those splits aren't very fast, but you know it's hard to account for how long each obstacle is taking and how long it takes you to come in and out of each obstacle. And then a lot of times the terrain is a lot more technical. Sometimes there's a lot of elevation gain, you know, so you see an athlete running, you know, nine minute miles for uh, a five K OCR. And you're like, well, that's not very fast. You know, I can do six minute miles on a road on a road course, but when, when you start adding in the terrain and the mud and the obstacles and all this other stuff, it's, it's a big difference, right? So hard to compare times if you're not
1: physically out there running the course. That's kind of what I was surprised mostly. Right. And that one you talked also about like it being almost a complete running race. Yes. Uh, for the warrior dash, just because of how, how simple things were, but like, that was like a, a rude awakening as you started to move into the the more intense OCR.
0: Yeah. You know, I finished like 60th there. I finished 60th at OCR world championships. And then I was like, all right. We got Stuff Toughest mutter up next. I'll finish 60th there. and Move about my day. You know, go, <laughs> go back to doing bodybuilding and marathon running and all that other stuff um, that I enjoy. And oh, so was, you
1: hadn't like caught the bug yet.
0: No, no. I mean, I was enjoying it. I thought it was fun, but it wasn't like uh, I wasn't addicted or this wasn't my, my new thing. It was just like, oh, this is fun. We're going to do this for a while, and then we'll, we'll switch back and
1: do some other stuff, maybe come back at some point. That's an interesting thing because like, you had this slate of races that you felt like you just needed to check off. That's all you were doing at that point was checking off. Yep, exactly.
0: One of the benefits I have is I've I've seen a lot of other sports because I've been involved in a lot of other sports, at least on some level, or I typically will research them when I'm involved in them. And the one thing you always notice is the first couple of years of any sport, the competition is not good compared to what it is a decade down the line. Every sport's like that, right? It takes a while for the are really fast people to get in there and for them to make um, kind of fine tune things to maximize performance. So if you get, in, if there's a new sport that's in its first year and you get in there and you're in decent shape, you can do significantly better than you would, you know, five years down the line. Right. And I, I think the book, an example I use in the book is the first Ironman triathlon, right. Where like 20 f- people finished or something. And the guy came in 20th was like 17 hours, which is the cutoff time. Right. So there's a guy who finished, you know, in 15 hours, who's like, you know, essentially finished 10th at the first Ironman or whatever, whatever his time was. Whereas that time would put you in several hundredth, you know, nowadays. So my plan was just to kind of get some good bullet points for my athletic resume, which, you know, whatever I was going to do with it, I don't know. It was just kind of, I was just kind of building unique things, rest my athletic laurels on, whatever you want to say. So that's kind of why I started doing OCR because it was new. And I was like, oh, this building a brand. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And, uh,
1: Go run for a little bit, do well, and we'll go move on to some other stuff. And this was like when you were like the world's fastest bodybuilder. That's kind of like where you were moving with strength and speed.
0: Yeah, that was, that was kind of the, the branding thing I was going for, right? Was, I mean, I obviously wasn't the best bodybuilder, so I need something to make myself stick out <laughs> and unique. So um, that's, what I, that's what I was using. I'm pretty fast and I can uh, lift a lot of weight and run for a pretty long time. Nice. Yeah, so I end up going to that first world's toughest mutter. In 2014, it was in Las Vegas, and it was supposed to be supposed to be going as a team. I Ended up being my you know my team dropped out, so it's just me. And I was like, okay. My dad came, my wife, who was like six months pregnant at the time, and uh, went out to Las Vegas <laughs> in the desert there. And if you know 2014 World Toughest Mother, it was that was the year of the windstorm, and it was. So- oh, give it away the twist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those of you who were there will will know will know the experience, but it, or have heard of it. But it was. King of Swingers, one of their obstacles, like, literally blew over. Like, one of their big obstacles, like, collapsed and fell fell to the side. The wind was so atrocious. You know, in the Army, we'll call things. If things are getting too dangerous, they'll be like, all right, we're going to cancel this training, or we'll put everything on pause. You know, I'd experienced similar stuff like that, like when my platoon got hit by lightning in ranger school, which uh, is earlier in the book. And I remember coming to the pit and being like, they're definitely going to cancel this race. So I'm just going to stay on course until basically a bunch of people quit and then I'll move up a couple more p- spots and then it'll be over. So I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, Oh, this thing's almost over. Even though, you know, we still had another, I don't know, 10, 10 hours
1: left in the race just because the conditions were so bad. Right. Had you like, sort of like mentally started to give up a like, little I was, bit. I mean, that's poison. That's yeah, the worst.
0: That is the worst. I I was strongly expecting it, but you know, luckily I hadn't a hundred percent committed to it. So I was able to bounce back. <laughs> But yeah, that could, have, that could have been a serious, a serious mental breaking point.
1: Because that's the worst. Did you experience anything like that in OCRA too? Like uh, when we were out there, like say for instance, that horrendously long day in New York, that was I think our, our second day at Noob Sanity. I remember you coming, like, coming back and it was starting to get dark and it was like, you're thinking, oh man, like, maybe I'll just do like one more lap or something like that. Like, have you experienced that in other races where you like, give up mentally? Yeah, and World Summit Summer
0: 2015 was uh, probably the closest I've ever come to quitting on course. For OCR America, I mean, the, especially the second one, uh, the day you were talking about when we were doing Extreme Ravine, that was a really bad day. I mean, it was just so long. We were moving so slow. It was freezing out, right? That was single-digit temperatures uh, for all, basically the
1: entire day. You know, like my sh- my shoes were frozen. It stayed cold so cold no matter like how, like it seemed like no matter how long we were out there because the pace was so slow due to all of the all of the elevation like you never like kind of got into a groove and started to like I never felt like my fingers or my toes ever warmed up they just kind
0: of go numb and then you just kind of accept them as numb and you keep moving it's not really
1: um I don't particularly ever remember being warm out for that <laughs> lap for those uh that that full day well I just remember thinking sometimes, you know, like if we were like doing some of the, the shorter races, like, you know, you, you could like kind of run in and like, you know, you could you could you could grab some uh like like some of your hammer nutrition stuff, like grab a gel, like like grab a drink real quick and the pain, that one was just a long, cold, dark uh, trek through the woods. I just remember that was just that would have broken me.
0: Yeah, that was that was the hardest day of OCR America two by far. And what's funny is the two days before we were I mean we were just flying. You know, because it was, those were gym days that so we were, yeah, we were putting in some really good mileage and, uh, at a very good pace and it was just, uh, it was easy. Those are two easy days. And then the third day, it was like a punch to the face.
1: Yeah. That first day you were like, yeah, it was easy. Whatever. At the end of it, you're just like, no big deal. Whatever. The sun was still out.
0: Yep. <laughs> we had time to like go back and eat a meal and then, like, kinda... anyway, let's jump back to it. Yeah. So
1: yeah. World's Toughest Mudder
0: 2014. <laughs> giving away the ending here, but I finished 13th overall, uh, which I was frankly shocked with. Like I said, I was expecting to finish 60th. And, you know, at that point it was like, well, why am I wasting my time on, you know, marathon running and bodybuilding if, if I'm, I'm legitimately pretty good at this stuff? That was the initial push. One year later, then it was like, all right, I'm 100% in on this. I was like 90% in on this after World Selfest Mudder. But then by the, you know, about a year later, I was 100% in. That was also a rough year because it's the year... I did a 100-mile trail race about a month after World's Toughest, which is not a good idea. Uh, I was just not recovered. Right. Definitely top 10, probably top 5, like, worst experiences <laughs> I've had during racing just because <laughs> my body was basically, like, shutting down. Uh, my hip flexors wouldn't move. You know, I had to, I had to get wheeled around the airport and in a wheelchair the, the following day.
1: <laughs> so sad. How much of that do you think had to do with, like, that much of something that was new to you i.e the obstacles like you you did hours and hours and hours going across these new obstacles and what i'm thinking of is specifically is the cliff like how much like trauma was your body dealing with of brand new movements brand new sort of difficulties that it has to deal with and then like one month later you're like yeah okay cool i'll just run 100 miles <laughs> but there's no adaptation that happens in right that, in that yeah. month
0: Honestly, because of, because of the bodybuilding, the strength I had, a lot of the obstacles just weren't that bad for me. I do remember some of the later laps, like sim- simple obstacles like getting over a wall was super challenging. And a lot of that because I hadn't figured out the efficiency. So for ultra OCR, what you eventually figure out is instead of muscling my way over obstacles on the first you know, 10 laps because I physically can, always use the easiest method to get across. So I have a very, let's say, somewhat unique method of getting over walls. You'll see me, I jump... And then I usually kick off uh, one of the support beams and kind of propel myself over. And it's a lot more uh, energy efficient than just grabbing at the top and doing a muscle up there. Those are things you would learn, I would learn later. Going into the first World's Toughest, I had enough muscle mass where I was able to kind of muscle my way through a lot of the obstacles. And then the the cliff was only open <laughs> right. during their day in that first uh, World's Toughest in Vegas. So I don't know how many times we went off of it. Actually, a fair number, but it was... It just hurt, you know, like, I mean, you you hit the water really hard, (laughs) you you know, mentally it was like, I don't find jumping from that height enjoyable. I was just like, Oh, well that's, that's unfortunate. I have to do that. So, um, in the later world's (laughs) toughest, when they started doing them, they changed it eventually to like a midnight opening. And then they, you know, they played around the opening times. You know, we used to, I used to use that as like a mental checkpoint, right? Like it's all right. I want to get an X number of laps before the cliff opens and use it to help kind of break up the race. And then once you go over the cliff once, you're like, all right, that kind of sucked, but it wasn't too bad.
1: Going back to efficiency a little bit, something I noticed about you that I didn't realize was a tactical decision. When I first saw you race, the first few times I saw you race, I noticed that for things like uh, on the rig, you always match hands. Like you don't do things in a way that makes you look like a, like a, you know, it's not show like you're yep. looking for efficiency all the time from the beginning of a race. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, You
0: know, the matching hands is a lot of times there's a lot more control and there's a lot less time hanging from one hand. And you'll find that hanging from one hand, you'll, you may fly through it on a lap or two. And then all of a sudden on lap three and four, it suddenly becomes a lot harder. And we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Jared Renier talking about, he actually like measured the angles and how long uh, when I match hands, how long I'm hanging from each hand. And it was something it was less than a second per hand but I'm with like one hand on the obstacle, the the rig setup we had in my garage that we were using as practice. And that was at the top of a movement, right? So when you swing to the top of the movement, when you get to that very high point, you're like almost weightless for a second. So there's not as much force coming down on you. Yeah. Um, so that's when I It's Just something I kind of figured out from, from practice, right? I just practiced enough where it became be like, well, this way is easier and it feels easier. So this is what
1: I'm doing. Right. Absolutely. Is that, I mean, obviously that's not something you were thinking about in 2014.
0: No, I was just getting, just again, muscle your way across. You got muscles, use them. <laughs> Power through that bad boy.
1: That's right. Take me through the, uh, the windstorm, through the dust storm. Yeah. It just,
0: I mean, it started with like, oh, it's getting, it's getting kind of windy. And then it just kept getting worse and worse to the point where the dust was kicking up so bad that you couldn't see the course markings anymore. Yeah, you know, OCR World Championships will line the course both sides, engineer tape, the whole, the whole fifteen k. World's toughest runner will typically have like a section of engineer tape, and then there's like a gap, and you can see the next section of engineer tape ahead of you. But they have gaps, so they don't have to line the whole course. It's a lot easier to right. mark. But when that windstorm hit, I mean, you were just like, I remember just like wandering through the desert, yeah. You know, there's just wind, and then like you, you're like, oh, I found the course marking, and then you're like. Uh, it's not the part of the course you thought you were on. You were, you know, you, you, you'd you wandered off a little bit, so you have to readjust and go back to where you, <laughs> you're you supposed to be. But, yeah, I remember, you know, there's a video. If anyone has the digital copy, there's actually, I, I embedded a YouTube link in there of someone videotaping part of the sandstorm, and it looks like, I mean, it looks like something from Aliens, right? Like another planet where there's just like, yeah. it's like Hoth, right? You know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and the, instead of snow, it's uh, sand, and it's just, dust blowing everywhere and these little blinking lights for um that are showing people moving around it was pretty yeah, wild
1: that's so intense too and so i mean you're there you're out there you're, you're in nothing but a wetsuit you're kind of like wandering around what's going through your mind like at that point like i know you, you talked a lot about like before that you know you were starting to have the shakes you're having shivers you were thinking about giving up you know like i know you you kind of just like yeah i'm just gonna keep going like <laughs> I'm assuming that's kind of where you were, or did you ever have like any, any places where you're like, were there any strategies in place? Like what was going through your head? Like after you'd gotten used to the fact that, okay, I'm just going to keep running through this sandstorm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was just continue to move forward. You know, I know if I know from the military training and from skiing and from, you know, rafting and Boy Scouts, you know, when you stop moving, you get cold. And so there's, there's no point in sitting in the pit because you're just going to keep getting colder, right? So, you know, keep moving at all times. I also know from Boy Scouts that if, you know, if you're shaking really bad, that's actually not necessarily a, a bad sign because it shows your body's trying to heat up. But actually, the more dangerous part is when you stop shaking, if you haven't made any sort of significant adjustments to your clothing or the weather, then you, that's like, that might be the onset of hypothermia because it's just, your body is given up, right? It's like, all right, I'm just protecting the vital organs. Now this guy, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And I I remember on one of the laps, on one of the laps, I finally stopped shivering and I'm like, all right, I'm back in it. And then I remember like halfway through the next lap, I was like, or is that a bad sign that my body is shutting (laughs) down? And I was like, I don't know. I'll just keep going. That first world's toughest was the, it's the most I've been messed up from uh, kind of like thermal regulation afterwards. Because I remember being in class um, two or three days later and I'd be like freezing one minute, right? You know, and I'm I have this yeah. like wool coat on, and everyone else is like, "Are you all right?" I'm like, "Is is no one else cold in here? Is it just me?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's just you." I was like, <laughs> "Weird." And then like a two minutes later, I'm like, "Oh, I'm sweating. I'm so hot." And I'm like, "So I take that off." And I, I was having like hot and cold flashes uh, for
1: about two or three days after that one. Would that mess with you long term if you were to do longer races than that? Like kind of like ignoring those signs from your body? Yeah, it's a crapshoot, right? Like, in order
0: to see your in order to see your full potential, you have to ignore a lot of those signs. But at the same time, in, the, in bad conditions, um, if you ignore too many of them, you can, you can put yourself into serious trouble. Uh, you know, with the military, we're basically, it's kind of ingrained into us to ignore everything and just keep going. So that's kind of what I do. I take that same logic and just apply it to racing. And I mean, that's what you'll see throughout basically the entire book. That's, yeah. Dude, that race logic, I mean, <laughs> that peeing though. Yeah, you got to keep the legs warm. Right. Do you mean, (laughs) you you know, during a 24 hour race, you'll pee how many times? I don't know. Once an hour, let's say. So you're going to stop 24 times to pee (laughs) for a minute to two minutes each. No. And, you know, so basically I would time my uh, piss breaks. They're not breaks because I'm walking while doing it. Right. (laughs) After you you get out a cold uh, submersion obstacle, so your legs are cold and you pee and warm them back up
1: and keep on trucking. Do you go on any like emptying out? Let's say, sort of regimen before a long race like that. So yes, or do you just like when that happens, you just deal with it? So yes and no. I've conditioned my
0: body, and I'm not sure how. It just knows that my I, my body purges everything the morning before a race. Like it just oh. everything comes out. I mean, it just it just cleans house. Um, so I, I've kind of built that into my my body, and through experience, it, that's just what happens. Uh, the only time I've ever had to go number two in the middle of a ultra OCR was during the first toughest mutter because it started at uh, midnight and it went to eight a.m. So I had a full day of oh, yeah. eating it fr- beforehand that I wasn't used to, and on the last lap, I almost grabbed my <laughs> pants. Like I mean, it was like it was like. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was the final lap of the race, and I had two and a half miles left, and I was like, I can't make it back to the finish line. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it. <laughs> and luckily, there was a port-a-potty. I knew there was a porta potty about half a mile ahead, and I ran in and just blew that place up. And of course, no toilet paper, <laughs> right? No toilet pa- I was like, gah. Then I was like, all right. So I pulled my pants back up, and the next obstacle was Arctic Enema, which is the ice bath. So... <laughs> i jumped in there swished around for an extra you know 20 seconds and then got up and kept on running (laughs) luckily it was at the end of the race so you know hopefully no one uh, or very few people got to swim through that afterwards but it's not like there was you know just it's just little particles right if we're not like it's not like a deuce floating in the in the ice bath there
1: I hope nobody is like jumping into like water obstacles at races with their mouth open anyway. No, <laughs> like, it
0: happens sometimes you can't avoid it, but any final thoughts on world's toughest?
1: No, dude, that's just, that's so fun to me. Like, I just, I love the idea of uh, getting into like, like a story of somebody's first time doing something that's as ridiculous as World toughest. Cause that's, that's just an intense race, especially early on. Like when you, when you did it, like people were still kind of figuring out how you're supposed to, do an ultra OCR like that. Especially with it being the first year in Vegas, everyone in the message boards was like, yeah, you
0: don't even need a wetsuit this year. You know, no, hashtag no wetsuits needed. And, oh, <laughs> you, you definitely needed a wetsuit. You you would have legitimately died in uh, Vegas in 2014 without a wetsuit. Every year you needed a wetsuit. Uh, there was one year, 16, you could get by with, uh, like I didn't put my wetsuit on until like almost midnight, which was about 12 hours into the race. But And I was one of the last people not to put on a wetsuit. But you needed it. Even that year, you needed it. It It's just You needed it a lot later in the race. And even regardless, you always come prepared, right? You always bring everything. Because it's not like I'm carrying all that stuff on the course with me, right? It just sits in a tent for the majority of the time. So why not come prepared and be ready for anything, especially if I'm not physically having to carry everything, right? For sure. Just makes sense. That's also a product of military and Boy Scouts, right? I mean, be prepared, Boy Scout motto, right?
1: That's right, man. You got to have your, uh, your wetsuit. You got to have your gels. You got to have your teddy bear in case things right. get really intense. You have a, you know, you got to have yeah. a, a quick shot, quick shot of maker's mark <laughs> just, uh, you know, for maximum efficiency to warm up the innards. Yeah. Oh, like, do you have any, like, like I remember, uh, you having <laughs> out of anger, the, we talk about the skittles and the uh, and the potato chips in the bag from ocr america too but like do you have any other like sort of just like like guilty pleasure race items or foods that you have with you
0: double stuff oreo i usually bring with me and i usually bring some sort of energy drink uh, It used to be red bull i've kind of switched to brain cotton candy rain now um trying to there's a lot of caffeine in it so i try not trying to down the whole can at once and then red vines yes the red vines gotta have the well, rain too man hashtag not
1: a sponsor yet yeah they said no i tried already <laughs> we'll try again <laughs> we'll get it they've got to compete with bang and bang is the weirdest like i mean like their their marketing is something you anyway, know that's that's a, a topic for another day but rain not taking you come on it's their loss
0: we'll cover one more chapter and then call it a call it a night here you know, finishing 2014 and seeing how well i did at world's toughest mud i was like all right well i should focus on ocr and like just ocr so I stopped doing everything else, bodybuilding and marathon running, and kind of just focused on obstacle course racing. Um, I basically just packed my race schedule full of races. I had like, you know, 15 or races or something that year and started kind of knocking stuff out. And at the time I was working on a book, which ultimately became Strength and Speed's Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing. But at the time was just, uh, it was just a, a weightlifting and running book that nobody wanted to publish. When I found obstacle course racing, it's kind of like halfway through the year. I when I contacted someone, I was like, "Well, how about a book on obstacle course racing?" And a publisher was like, "Oh yeah, we'll definitely take that." And I was like, "Oh cool." I was like, "All right, well, I'm going to use this book that I've written and kind of mold it into an OCR book." And I ended up, I ended up rewriting probably like eighty or ninety 80 percent of the book. So um, most of that effort went went completely down the drain. Um, <laughs> you know, though I'd say the one really big benefit that I didn't talk about in the book here is. So because I'm trying to write a book on obstacle course racing, I'm overanalyzing everything, right? I need to figure out the most efficient way to do every single obstacle. Right. So I would I'd watch YouTube videos, I would watch the the guys at, at races and I would look at what they were doing and kind of overanalyze like, all right, if you do this, you can save an extra second. If you do this, you can save an extra second, right? And you add that up over, you know, 20 obstacles on a race, you save a couple seconds on each, you know, and that's a minute faster. And then basically it comes down to running speed. Uh, So uh, basically you take running plans from uh, top runners and you kind of overlay that with some strength training routine um, and then kind of adjust that based off your weaknesses. So that's what I was doing, kind of going all these races, getting these all these different experiences. And it it made me go to a lot of different brands as opposed to just being like, all right, I'm just going to go to Spartan races. Like, you know, I went to, you know, probably more than a dozen different brands that year just kind of uh, and that's one of the benefits of living out in the midwest we just had a lot of kind of local brands like battlegrounds and conquer the gauntlet and atlas race at the time and battle frog and we got to to go to tough mutter and spartan and warrior dash and rugged maniac right so and then i went to some smaller ones um, like shell hell uh, up in benson vermont so She kind of started exploring the sport and built a pretty good base of knowledge. And because I was writing the book, it really helped me fine tune some things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a a good, everybody was still sort of kind of, you know, 2016, kind of figuring it out. Like there was a lot of change, a lot of permutations between different races. Especially, yeah, it's 2015. Yeah.
0: 2015.
1: Oh, 15. Yeah. So the sport was developing at the same time as you were developing the idea to tell people how to do these races. But I mean, these races are, are, you know, we're changing so much, you know. Especially at that time, I know I know C T G was trying out lots of different obstacles every time. Oh yeah. I mean it
0: I remember doing C T G in two thousand fifteen and being like, That was the hardest OCR I've ever done. And you look at it like three years later and it I mean it was the two thousand fifteen version was a joke compared to what was the two thousand eighteen version. You know, it was right. it's heads and shoulders different. At the time, because I'd experienced all these other different sports, I was like, All right, well, what did other people do to be successful in those other sports? And then I looked at OCR and I was like, well, you know, here's a bunch of models that worked in other sports. Why is no one doing this in obstacle course racing? I was like, well, no one's going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I was like, all right, I'll write a book on competitive obstacle course racing. Um, Because all the books out at the time were beginner focused. It was like, you know, intro to your first mud run. I was like, you know, I'll I'll write my book. And I'm sure a year or two later, someone will come out with one that may be a little bit better. And, you know, it'll, it'll be cool. And here we are five years later, and there's not another competitive book on obstacle course racing, which I can't believe.
1: I can't believe no one else has written a, a book. So, um, Right. Simon and sister, Penguin, what are you guys doing? Come on, guys. Who's published I know. I've, I've try- we got we to have a big old hardcover version with, like, giant photos, man. Give, I'm going to give Bobby another plug here. The
0: updated version, New Strength and Speeds Guide to Lead Obstacle Course Racing, just published on Amazon. It's a digital format only. It's got a ton of Bobby's pictures in there. Really good. You know, and I, I wrote that first one and I probably had about 10 podiums under my belt. By the time I did the update, I had 58 total, right? So <laughs> you, you add 48 more podiums plus, you know, losses plus disaster race. right? You had a whole bunch more experience to that and I refined the product a lot better. So I, the first one I really felt like I tried to do, you know, in hindsight, I feel like I tried to do too much. And then I simplified some of the training plans actually for the newer one. And I just gotten a lot better at figuring out how to do obstacles and uh, update a lot of information on in there. Like we were saying, this the sport's so dynamic that things I had written about, you know, a couple years ago, were no longer in existence. Right, Atlas wasn't in existence anymore. Battle Frog wasn't in existence. A lot of the pros I interviewed in the back were Battle Frog team people, and a lot of those athletes had moved on to other things. Right.
1: Something I loved in uh, in this chapter that was that was fun was uh, all of your your Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron esque. Kind of uh, mind games all right, you talk about like uh whenever like you go to pass somebody you like kind of turn it on, then you just like talk and strut at them a little bit,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: let them know you're in a great you're in a great spot, you're not tired at all
0: yeah i still I still do that and i I say in the book, but it's I do care about a lot typically with, especially with ultras here right you're it's really you against the course, but at the same time when it gets toward near the top, it's also you against the other people and I want. I want those people to do the best they can, uh but at the same time I still want to beat them, right? So There's an advantage,
1: a psychological right.
0: advantage. I'm going to I'm going to leverage it a little bit. So
1: <laughs> You want them to do their best, you just want it to be less good than you. Yeah, you less good than my best.
0: Yeah, exactly. I want everyone to do their best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: That's so good, man. That's that's why you're peeing yourself. You're peeing yourself on the short races too. They got to smell your musk.
0: Yeah, marking my territory. Be like, this is my race course.
1: You've noticed my urine is everywhere. (laughs) I get to see you passing. (laughs) I get to see you passing somebody, like giving them a little fist bump. Sorry, I got a little pee on there. I already marked that finish (laughs) line. It's mine. So funny, funny story from
0: 2014 World's Toughest Mudder. I mentioned they closed the cliff at night. So it was, it was dusk. And uh, so the cliff had just closed and I run past it and take the land route. And because my legs are cold, I pee, right? So my legs are dripping wet. And I remember running into the pit and someone's like, did you just go off the cliff? It's closed. You're not supposed to go off the cliff because they saw I was like dripping <laughs> wet. And I was like, I'm just going to keep running. I just like completely ignored them. I just kept running. I was like, this is, I don't want to explain to this lady why my legs are are dripping wet. <laughs> the Most of that chapter just focuses on you know, trying out all these different OCRs and kind of finding my way and... Even my first Conquer the Gauntlet doesn't go well, right? I fell stairway to heaven, just completely blindsided by that obstacle too. <laughs> and then afterwards, you know, you do some sport specific practice and I got better. And now I can go across it a lot of times before I, I end up having trouble. I had done, signed up for a lot of shorter races that year because honestly, there wasn't that much ultra OCR in general because uh, BFX really was just kind of starting that year. And Tough Mudder only had World's Toughest smudder that wasn't the 12 hour, 8 hour versions yet. And I ended up going to Shell Hell, uh, the 24-hour race in Benson, Vermont, came in second there. And then I did BFX Cincinnati pretty soon after. I think it was like three weeks after. And I I just wanted to get pictures from my book, Guide to Elite Obstacle Course Racing. So I ran BFX. And I ended up doing well there. I ended up winning. And I think I was the only person to do four laps and everyone else did three or less. And what was weird was, you know... It's always weird to you – know, when you, you do something and you're like, well, this was very impressive. Other people should be <laughs> impressed by this. And then other times you do something, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And that was one of those things where like I was just kind of doing my thing. And people – like a couple times after that, people would come up to me at races and be like, oh, you're the dude that did four laps at Cincinnati. I was like, how do you even know about that? Like is that <laughs> – it was just weird. It's, it's always weird to see what, what kind of sticks with people and what doesn't. So it's like, but you don't know about, you know, I'll uh, insert some other uh, physical feed I've done, but they know about something random. It's just kind of weird. Right. You were killing it, man. Yeah, I was doing all right. Racked up some good podiums. Got a, won my first cash prize there. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, kind of exploring the sport. Ripped your pants off. Ripped my pants off. Thought my junk was hanging out. I was very confident <laughs> my junk was hanging out, but you know what I didn't do? I didn't <laughs> drop off the obstacle because I'm not going to. That's right. I'm not going to fall off the obstacle and have to do yeah. the penalty. <laughs> I'm just going to finish with my, uh, with my boys hanging out there. So <laughs> you can get the full story in the book. <laughs> Find out if I was actually we exposing myself. It. Find out if I was actually exposing myself to the entire crowd. I, I was convinced it was everything was hanging out. It felt very breezy down there. <laughs> yeah, so next time we're going to start jo- jumping into the Ultra OCR charity events, right? So we'll, we'll jump into OCR America. And then Ultra OCR Grand Slam, and then kind of do the lead up to Endure the Gauntlet. You know, I think we, I talk about these a lot in depth in the book, and some of you have listened to the podcast a while, so you've probably got an idea of how some of those things turned out. So we're probably going to kind of breeze through a lot of the OCR stuff just because we've, uh, I think we cover it really in depth in the book. There's still a lot of
1: fun stuff coming up. Oh, all the best stuff's coming up, man. Yeah. All the insane things that you, you did, uh, for those charity events is still stuff that because i remember the first time i ever saw you was an uh, Endure the gauntlet and everyone's like oh yeah evan preparis uh, ultra ocr man is enduring the gauntlet and i remember like running by him being like yeah he's not that impressive and then like, <laughs> he's been doing that for 14 hours <laughs> and i was like well
0: <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny because you know we re- i mean we must we must have run by each other i don't i don't remember I don't remember
1: seeing you uh, because I didn't know who you were at the time, but no, we didn't know who we were. I mean, I knew who you were because I mean, it was like the thing everyone was talking about.
0: I first found out who you were. You appeared on my timeline on Facebook, um, shooting, you know, talking one of your short videos and you were wearing a CTG shirt. And I was like, this dude's wearing a CTG shirt. I don't know who this is. And I shared it to like (laughs) to David and Steven Courtney. And they were like, Oh yeah, that's Bobby. I was like, Oh, we know who this is. Oh, just I don't know. Okay, just I don't know who it is. That's what it is. <laughs> but I was super excited. That's so were, funny. You were doing some little bit with a CTG shirt on.
1: So the days, man. Yeah.
0: All right. I think that about wraps it up. And like Bobby said, we're gonna get into some of the more insane challenges and talk about kind of how those came to be and where I kind of got the ideas and stuff like that. So stick with us. Uh, I got more exciting stuff coming at you and more kind of behind the scenes of some of the stories I left out of the book. Yeah. More stories about Evan's junk. Yeah. There's a lot of junk stories. <laughs> there's
1: a lot of we, junk stories.
0: We can go back in time. I got some really good junk stories from, uh, military stuff. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of junk stories there. A lot of people being inappropriate. Actually, I probably shouldn't share a lot of those stories.
1: We've got to do a few more military stories in the very last episode. to Keep people sticking around. Yeah. Those yeah. are
0: so interesting. We'll see. <laughs> I, I just got to figure out which ones I should tell and which ones will, uh, prevent you from being like our military is full of awful human beings so we'll have to I'll have to tiptoe my way around some of these <laughs> <laughs> figure out what's good all right stick with us and we will catch you all in a couple of weeks love it see y'all